Alright, we're back. If you missed us last week and need an extra episode, go take a listen to our Patreon-only short go with Maggie Polonsic. A huge thank you to all of you that have already supported us on Patreon. You help us keep this adventure going. This week's conversation is with two-time national high school barrel racing champion, Rachel Prim. Since her high school days, Rachel has progressed through the ranks, winning on multiple levels, and has now started her own breeding program with a stallion that you'll want to look into. Her journey is full of ups and downs that barrel racing can consist of, and her perseverance to help keep her horses healthy and always improve as a jockey is truly admirable. We enjoy this episode and hope you do too. But first, a message from our partners at Farnham, the makers of Horseshoer's Secret Hoof Supplements, supplying vital nutritional support for a solid foundation. Every horse owner has heard the expression, no hoof, no horse. For horses with hoof challenges, a hoof supplement is a good option to help keep your horse's hooves healthy and prolong his life and riding career. Encourage healthy hoof growth with Horseshoer's Secret Pelleted Hoof Supplement. Nutrient-rich formula contains beneficial ingredients including biotin, key amino acids lysine and methionine, copper and zinc to maintain hoof walls and support cracked hooves. Feed less and get the same or great results as the original with Horseshoer's Secret Pelleted Hoof Supplement Concentrate. This economical formula is packed with key nutrients plus 25 milligrams of biotin per 2-ounce serving. Horseshoer's Secret Extra Strength Hoof and Connective Tissue Supplement delivers optimum nutrition for strong, healthy hooves, tendons, and ligaments. Easy to feed nuggets promote proper digestion to help grow tough, flexible hooves and support hoof hydration and moisture retention. Ideal for horses needing support due to genetic predispositions, environmental conditions, and rigorous performance demands. No matter what type of hoof challenges your horse faces, Horseshoer's Secrets has a solution for you. Alright Rachel, it's your turn. This is The Money Barrel. I'm really excited for this podcast today. We are having Rachel Prim on, who has had success in all avenues of the industry. And we actually started talking because I was really interested in her up and coming stallion, who we'll talk about later in the podcast. And then I thought, you know what? This is one of the stories I want to share. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. If you listen to the Tara and Izzy Coughlin episode as well, um, Izzy talks a lot about you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm excited to get you on and just share your story. Thank you. Yep, I love little Izzy. Um, I've been helping her for a few years now, and they bought um, her horse, Joe Dynamite, from me. So uh, she's a special little girl, and I'm thankful to have them in my life. So, I mean, why don't we just start off with telling your story before we get into, you know, the specifics of what you're doing now. Um, For those that, you know, may not know your background or anything, tell us how you got into horses and barrel racing and a little bit about your barrel racing career so far. Yeah, so I probably didn't get into it the way that most people do. Um, My family is not into horses at all. Um, you know, now my dad is because we, it's kind of something we do together. But, um, when I first started, I was like every little girl, like horse crazed. And, um, when I was, I think two, my mom took me down the street to our neighbor's, uh, birthday party and his mom was giving everybody rides on her horse. And I was obsessed with horses. So I insisted to be the last one that day to ride him so I could go the longest. And, uh, the horse was over it and bucked me off. And I stood up, my mom said, and I was crying, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, where are you hurt? And I guess I was crying because my pink boots got dirty. (laughs) 
and uh, I was hooked ever since. She took me back the next week so I wouldn't have a fear of horses. And uh, she said that uh, they couldn't get me off the horse and never looked back. So I actually went from there to uh, I started riding English horses when I was five because I'd gone to the uh, Reno Rodeo and uh, I'd said, that's what I want to do. I want to be a barrel racer. I want to be a cowgirl. But my parents didn't know how to get into that. So all they knew or all they could find was uh, English horses to go and ride. So I rode um, English and the jumpers until I was probably seven. And then at the time, my dad had become friends with Perry DiLoretto. And uh, I'd fallen in love with one of his rope horses and would pick the grass outside of his stall and bring it to him. And uh, I showed up one day and my saddle was on him. And he said, if you can lope a circle and stop him to show you have control, he's yours. And so that was my very first barrel horse. And it just continued to escalate from there. That's awesome. I love that. That's very similar to how I started. The English side of things. And then, uh, you know, nobody in my family knew anything about horses. And I just, I love that, you know, now, here you go, a lifetime later, you're still in it. Yeah, and I think it's amazing to have such supportive families, even if they have no idea anything about horses or the industry. Like, it's incredible to have the support that I've had from my family to be able to do uh, everything I've done and accomplish what I have, because I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without their support. So when you started getting into the Western side of things, I mean, where did you guys live? Did did you have to board a horse? Did you have property? Yep. So I, uh, we, I'm from Washoe Valley, Nevada. It's uh, just outside of Reno, and we had the land. We had uh, 80 acres there, but we did not have a barn or anything. So we boarded him, and uh, the boarding place actually had a lady that would give uh, Western lessons and like kind of gym can like barrel racing lessons. So I started riding with her, and then uh, my dad had gone to the NFR with Perry DiLoretto one year. And uh, he was friends with J.D. Yates, so they went to watch him. And he ran into Lita Scott when he was in Vegas. And uh, Lita Scott is a three-time NFR qualifier. And uh, my dad actually dated her in high school. So he ran into her and got talking. And she lived 10 minutes from us right down on the same street I boarded my horse on at the time. And so we got set up and I went and rode with her and she was like, perfect. Like, here's some pointers and let's go to a barrel race. And I start crying because I'm so scared. I'm not going to be good enough because I'm a perfectionist. I always have been and I think I always will be. And I wanted to be the best. And so I was so scared to go to that first race, but I ended up winning like money in the 4D youth and you would have thought I won the world and I was hooked. (laughs) That's awesome. And what, I mean, what a fantastic first coach to have without even kind of realizing it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she, I give her so much credit for everything I've learned and how to jockey a horse um, because she helped me. She still will help me if I call her and need it. Um, But she coached me and was there for me and helped tune my horses all the way until I graduated high school. And even when I was in college, sometimes I'd come home and ride with her. Um, And she had me on after like a year and a half, maybe, of running that rope horse. She put me on her old NFR horse, Little Wiggy Joe. And he was older, but I got to learn what a real barrel horse should feel like. Um, And he was a handful. Uh, He actually... 
he enjoyed uh, every once in a while ducking off on the second barrel and touring the arena. Uh, he did it to her at the NFR. He did it probably some of the biggest rodeos in the country. And uh, he definitely he did it to me the first time I ran him. And I was so embarrassed. I said, you know, my friends don't, my friends are going to make fun of me. And she was like, honey, it's okay. The whole world knows he does it. And I was like, but my friends don't. (laughs) But that horse and Lita taught me so much Um, at such a young age. I was really fortunate to have her kind of guide me through the learning process of how to even run barrels. Did you do any other events when you're starting to get into high school or did you focus solely on barrels? Yep, I I did the poles. I actually made the high school finals twice in the pole bending as well. And then I breakawayed and I um, team roped. I headed quite a bit and uh, I even roped in college. Okay, so tell us, I mean, how you kind of graduated through, um, you know, learning the through the Gymkhana stages to high school rodeos. Um, we, we know you were very successful in high school and we do have some youth listeners, um, that listen. And I just think that's like such an important factor to like, clearly it doesn't always go like planned, but you know, you can still have quite a bit of success if you try hard. Exactly. I've always been very dedicated. Um, but when I was younger, just cause my family just didn't know, I went to a lot of jackpots. I just did jackpots until high school. I We didn't even know about junior rodeos or high school rodeos. And then uh, uh, we had met a lady that was a friend of mine, and she was in high school and has kind of helping me ride my horses. And she was a bit, quite a bit older than me. But she's actually the one that told us. And was like, you really should go to these. And so my I broke my back um, the week before I started high school. So I did not high school rodeo even the first half of that season my freshman year and so I just jumped in mid-year and knew absolutely no one Um, and I'm so shy and quiet that was uh, a little bit to adjust to to try to make friends when I don't talk (laughs) and uh, but I think it brought me out of my shell Um, I've met friends there that are still my friends today and I think it taught me so much more than just the jackpots it was such a big transition because you have to learn like the timing of a rodeo with all the events when you need to be on your horse to warm them up to get ready for your runs and how to juggle numerous events and the responsibility of that and just being a I think it makes you a better horseman doing all those different events with multiple horses and uh it requires a lot of responsibility and dedication. Uh, in Nevada, we have pretty uh, cold winters and we get a lot of snow. And uh, a lot of kids, we'd have our rodeos and start in February in the spring. And a lot of times there was definitely snow on the ground and a lot of kids wouldn't ride their horses and they probably don't rodeo today. Um, and I would be out there all winter long in my snowsuit with my ski goggles on, riding my horses in the blizzards to keep them in shape for those spring rodeos. So it definitely taught me a lot. And I feel like it really helps you transition into the world of college rodeos or pro rodeos because the environment is the same. And I was fortunate to be in Nevada uh, and have a lot of really tough competition. Um, we ran against uh Rachel Hendricks and her great horse Blaze that um Vicky Carter made it to the NFR on. Um we kind of were neck and neck every weekend it was her and I battling it out, it seemed like. Um so it kind of upped my level of competition to be in the high school rodeos. 
You kind of glossed over. You broke your back? I did. I broke my back in three places. I broke three vertebrae um, in my lumbar spine. I was tubing behind a boat, of all things. And the tube flipped over, and I just hit the water just right. And when you're going fast, it definitely doesn't have much give to it. It's about, like, hitting concrete. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so scary. Yeah. Yep. Looks like you came back from it, though, thankfully. Yeah, I did. Yes, thankfully. I do have some herniated discs that do bother me, but I think it's kind of just the pain that you learn to deal with um, because I have no interest in having artificial discs or fusing done because I just don't want it to affect my riding or how much I can ride or how competitive I could be because you just never – like, that's just scary surgery. Yeah. uh, I try to stay as fit as I can and keep my core really strong because that definitely helps with the back pain. And uh, I do a lot of stretching and I go see a physical therapist when I need it. So I just maintain it, but it's just something I've learned to deal with every day. Interesting. I mean, you, you just never know. I mean, you never know what people are dealing with, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah. So tell us about the horse you had in high school, um, because I'm sure most listeners recognize his name, and I just think he was the coolest animal ever. Well, his name was Proud Red Pepper. Um, He, I say that he is my soulmate. Like God gave everybody a soulmate in life, and some people are lucky enough to find him. And he just happened to give me mine in the form of that horse. Um, From the minute I laid eyes on him him and I have always just had something special. And I think people figure I bought him because he did break the world record on a standard pattern. Um, But actually, I was on the flight to Arizona to go try him when he made that run. And I got the phone call when we landed that he had just broke the world record. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I tried him that night. They had a little jackpot there after the big jackpot, after the derby and the fraternity and Buckeye. And so I entered him because I was where they were staying. And I actually hit the second barrel so hard that it went flying and we jumped it. (laughs) And uh, we bought him anyways. And he was just a big step up caliber wise to anything I'd ever rode. Um, But my dad was amazing. And the fact that he realized I needed to start out at the bottom and gradually work my way up. I was never overmounted. So I went from having a whole group of 3D horses to 2D horses to 1D. But when I got Pepper, that's just a whole other level of 1D horse. So uh, it was just more power than anything I'd read. So I was a little behind, but we clicked together so fast. And he was so young and hadn't had very many runs. Barbara Merrill did a fantastic job training him. And she's trained quite a few that have gone on to the NFR. Um, But I was young and really it probably shouldn't have worked. He was green. I was green. But we just fit. And so I had uh, a lot of success on him pretty much from the start. um, Because I bought him in. February or January of 2010 and then by obviously that June or July I won the high school finals for the first time on him was he a fraternity horse that year was he a derby horse he was a derby horse but he had had a whole year off in between his fraternity year and that start of his first derby year 
Okay, I remember um, watching that run, the 16-6, and just being like, yeah. oh my gosh. I mean, just as perfect as could be. Um, and I knew he was younger. I just couldn't remember exactly how young. Yep, and so just with all that time off he'd had for a whole year, and then Barbara didn't fraternity a ton. You know, she stayed pretty close to home, and uh, so he was really green as far as how many times he'd been entered. But he was just as solid as could be. That horse loved his job, and he was just he's just a freak. Um he just wanted to run barrels and do right. And she, I've never rode a barrel horse that was as broke or as patterned as Barbara trained him to be. I think what you said about your dad and how he helped choose your horses is so important. Because frankly, most times watching the youth races, like, is terrifying to me. Um, I, yeah. I I stay as far away from the warm-up pens as possible uh, during the, those times. But I just, you know, everybody wants their kids to do the best that they can. Um, but really, the parents that don't overmount their horses, you know, even if it's a little bit slower, but it's safe and it teaches them how to do things, like, I just feel like that is such a smart decision um, versus, you know, getting getting your kid on something a little bit less broke, a little bit faster that they can handle, and then it just unravels so fast. Absolutely. I just think it's dangerous Mm because I'm with you. It it pains me sometimes to watch it. And how much are you really learning when these little kids are just trying to hang on for dear life? You don't, you know, I felt like I learned so much having to jockey and get the most out of whatever horse I was on because I wasn't overmounted. And I always had multiple horses. Like my dad was really big on the fact he never wanted me to only be able to ride one style. And he's just such a brilliant man with everything my dad does. But I think he was watching all these other kids, even though he wasn't from the horse world or had no idea about things, he'd watch and say, well, that girl can only ride that one horse because it's what she's had for five years. And when these parents are trying to get her a new one, they can't find one that she can ride. Mm-hmm. So he made me ride all different styles. Like I would have three or four horses that were 3D horses. And then a couple a year or two later when I was getting the most out of them that I could get, then we would go up and get a couple 2D horses and gradually just build but with multiple styles. And I think I learned how to jockey one. I learned how to get the most out of them. And I got really confident and comfortable rather than just being a little overmounted and having the horse just run and I'm just hanging on. <laughs> I think that is so important. Such a smart choice. Such a smart yeah. choice. Um, so you said you, you got Pepper and that year you guys won your first high school finals. Yes. Walk us be- through a little bit of those years because um, you won back-to-back years, right? Yep, I did. Yep. So, you know, just just walk us through winning at the high school level and preparing and like mentally handling that, you know, when you were younger. Um, My whole family has always been really big on the mental aspect of competition. Uh, My dad was a professional drag racer and a professional boat racer. So the competitiveness that I have definitely comes from him. But in that racing, you have to react so fast when you're at the starting line on a 200 plus mile an hour race car and your timing on the when the light turns green has to be within like a thousandth of a second. And so he was really big on visualization and doing your own thing and never changing your routine 
Like he always said that my routine started when I put the halter on my horse or when I unloaded him out of the trailer to saddle him. So like, and I still to this day, I saddle my horses the same exact way every day before every race. I put my boots on the same exact way, um, the same leg first, and I work my way around. Um, so I kind of have a routine to mentally prepare myself. And uh, I think I just learned to just do my own thing because the first year at the high school finals, there wasn't as, you know, there wasn't much pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, But that second year, everybody you feel like is watching you because they knew that you'd done it the year before. So everybody thinks that you're a contender and they want to know, they want to come to the fence and watch. And I felt like there was a lot more pressure, but I would put my headphones in and I'd go out and Pepper never liked to be warmed up around a bunch of other horses. He would buck. He was kind of feisty and he preferred to be alone. So I'd just go off way back in the grass somewhere and just warm him up alone. And I'd have my headphones in and usually my headphones stayed in my ears until right before they called my name. So I never had any idea what anybody else had done um, prior to me or even after. I just did my own thing, and I think uh, that's huge for any competitor just to run your own race because you can't control the outcome of anybody else's runs. I love it. How was it coming back and winning that second year? Was that, like, what years? Was that your junior, senior years in high school? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It was pretty special because I knew it had only been done once before. I think the first two years of high school rodeo in 1952 and 53. Um, And I went in that second year not really expecting to just because I knew that like the chances of it happening twice were pretty low. So I went in with no expectations, but my only goal while I was there was to run a 16 on a standard. That was my goal. And uh, in the finals, I actually ran past the first a little farther than I usually did. And he kind of elevated. I kind of got fast with my hand on the backside of the second. And Pepper kind of elevated and stalled out. And my dad actually, like, shook his head and turned around and, like, quit watching the rest of the run. Because, like, he thought I blew it and wasn't going to win it. And that was actually the run that uh, in the short round that won it. I was a 16-9 that year. That's um, so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, but, so it was really special, and uh, my both my parents were there, my brother was there, so it was really neat to have the whole family get to be there for that second one, and Pepper just is my once-in-a-lifetime horse. He is truly incredible, and I felt like his, the confidence in my horse that came from those two years of high school rodeo really helped me make the transition into my rookie year pro rodeos the next year and the college rodeos a lot easier just because I trusted my horse so much. Yeah. Walk us through that. I mean, after high school, I was just going to say you went to college rodeo. Did you decide to barrel race full time or, um, you know, kind of what happened after high school? Uh, I, I did rodeo pretty much full-time my rookie year, but I was also a full-time student. Um, I was I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, um, and they do not offer any online classes. So I was also a full-time student. I was college rodeoing. I was pro rodeoing. Um, looking back, it was probably a little too much on my plate, <laughs> but uh, in the moment, I, I couldn't have been happier. Um, and the college rodeos, Fortunately, they didn't have as many as in high school. So there was only two weekends in the fall and maybe five or six weekends in the spring, I think. So uh, 
any weekends I was in college rodeoing and there was some I was at college rodeos and pro rodeos and I had another horse I'd run at some of the college rodeos um to take because I didn't feel like Pepper needed to run at all of those um but my rookie year we sent him down here to Fort Worth um I made the finals at Fort Worth uh he placed really high I think in the first or second round I can't remember it's been so long um, he was second at Brawley that year, first starting out, because um, the summer before I'd entered Auburn on just my trying to fill my permit, and he filled my permit. He was second there and filled my permit in one our first pro rodeo. Um, and then he continued on all, just had a really strong winner for us, because we didn't get into any of the buildings since we hadn't won anything the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of went into the summer. He was just great all year. He... We were third at the first, third in the first round of Cheyenne, I think, and we made the finals at Cheyenne. Like I was having my my dream year on my dream horse, and uh, right after Cheyenne, we went back up to Canada because he'd won the first round of Pinoca, and it paid really good. So I wanted to get into the tour finale up there, and I needed a little more money, I thought, and maybe a couple more runs up there. So. I'd entered a rodeo really far north of the border and uh, pushing off to go in the gate. He, there was a pop and he started moving funky, but I couldn't get him pulled up in his run. Like his adrenaline was going and he was running mm-hmm. and I could just feel something was not right. Like he, he was hurt and I couldn't get him stopped. And I finally, on the way home, running from the third, I get him pulled up to a trot, but it was during a performance, so I knew I couldn't stop in the arena, and I just trotted him out onto the track and jumped off, threw my saddle on the ground, and it actually took, uh, steer wrestlers came and hoisted him into a trailer, into a stock trailer to get him to the vet, um, and the vet there was just kind of a cow vet, and they said that they thought they, he broke his pelvis and I needed to put him down, um, and I couldn't do that without knowing for sure. Mm-hmm. So I sat there for a week with him until he was comfortable enough to go in the trailer. And then I took a couple of days just going a few hours a day to get him down to Washington State. And uh, they had told me after the bone scans that he had broke or he had just torn his bicep femoris. And that was it. And they gave me a rehab protocol. He was going to have two or three months off and then go to a rehab place and swim and everything. And we'd taken him to the rehab facility at Pat and Amy Grohl um, with Premier Equine in uh, Oakdale, rehabbed him for us. And they're godsend. They're absolutely wonderful at what they do, and they're incredible people. Uh, they called me right around Christmas time later that year and said that he wasn't getting better in rehab. He was getting worse, and they felt like UC Davis needed to reevaluate him. Um, we did another bone scan and they found that he had broke the one side of his pelvis originally and then he overcompensated in rehab and broke the other side. Oh my gosh. And they said, and he was young at the time. I think he was not eight or nine when he broke his pelvis. Um, and so I was just devastated um, because he was my once in a lifetime horse and he was so young and it was my rookie year. And that's a hard thing to, to, take especially at that age that's a hard age when you're 19 years old and you're just starting to go out on your own and you're living away from home for the first time and uh he I didn't take it very well and Davis said that they had never seen a horse survive a double pelvic break and that I needed to put him down he would never leave a 12 by 12 stall um he would never have a quality of life and he would lay down 
sometime in the coming months and never be able to get back up. And I couldn't do that. I just, I couldn't put him down. Um, that everything that horse did for me. And then I, he was never in the amount of pain where I felt like he didn't want to be here. That horse's heart and he fought so hard. I'm going to get emotional talking about it. Yeah. This is going to like make me cry. And I know he's still here. (laughs) He is still here. He, He fought so hard. Um, and I, I could tell that he never, he, he wanted to live and he wanted to push through it. And he did. Um, and like I said, Pat and Amy were a godsend. And I truly believe they're the big reason for, um, being able to save his life. They kept him for, I think four years, um, totally changed his rehab protocol. They went and bought, um, first they had little, like the jump, like the English jumps, like the poles. And he, they'd hand walk him over those, trying to get him to just learn how to pick up his back legs correctly again because he couldn't really pick them up like that. He'd kind of swing them. Like, they'd kind of rotate instead of going front and back. They'd kind of swing front and back. And uh, they started building his strength up, and then they'd put him in the aqua tread on, like, the slowest setting for just very, very short amounts of time. And he gradually started getting stronger. I know they had rented lasers and all sorts of stuff to, to treat him with. And um, over time, he started getting better and stronger. And our, our end goal was to get him strong enough that he could live in a pasture and run around and be a horse and have the retirement that he deserved um, without the risk of him breaking it. Because we figured we thought the muscles if we built it all up would hold everything together until it was enough that he could go out and uh he actually got to the point he was swimming in the aqua tread just as much as the horses that were there conditioning for the racetrack were um and then we put him in the actual pool and he can he'll he can still swim in a pool um and built him up to where he was like in shape almost like like he was ready to compete um I could ride him. We started riding him at a walk and built up to a trot, and we'd trot over the the poles, and then they've got logs for him to trot over, and they got him to – he is comfortable. Uh, He made the move with me from Nevada to Texas. Um, I did it in a couple-day trip for him to make it easier on him because balancing in the trailer is the hardest part for him. Um, But he is 19 this year. He's sound. He is happy. He still looks like he did the day he retired. He looks like he is the fittest horse on my place. And I think he's probably still the fastest. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I'm so glad he's still here. Yeah, that that was making me cry. Yeah, he is just so special. I'm just so fortunate for every day I have him. And, of course, I'm going to always wish for one more run. But I don't but I'm just blessed that he's here and I've gotten to enjoy him for all these years that nobody said I would be able to enjoy him for. Yeah. So I'm just thankful to have him and I spoil him rotten. He comes in the barn every night. He's blanketed. He, I drive him two hours once a month to get shod because his feet are funky and he needs some specialty shoeing. Um, I, he gets cherry pop tarts or peppers thing. Uh, he's always loved cherry pop tarts. That's his favorite treat. He gets cherry pop tarts almost daily. Oh, <laughs> I love it. He, I'm sure he knows how special he is. That's, um, I mean, that's incredible. That, that's quite a testament to years and years of just working to get him comfortable. Like that, that is yeah. truly amazing. 
Thank you. Um, you guys cloned him, didn't you? We did, yes. Tell um, us a little bit about that. I I probably sound like a super Facebook stalker, which I kind of am. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, we've been Facebook friends for a while, and I I've, I saw that, and I think, I mean, that's just that's so cool. So tell us a little bit more. So when he first got hurt, um, it would have been in 2012, so it was like almost 10 years ago. Uh, and when it had first happened, cloning was just kind of starting to be announced. Um, it was right uh, maybe six months after they had just started to clone Scamper. And so we call, I called to look into it to see what the process was and the cost. And it was um, probably four times more uh, maybe three times more expensive than it is now um but they had said we could do a biopsy and preserve his dna and it was like fifteen hundred dollars to like have the dna preserved so you can clone it use it for a clone at any time in the future and so we went ahead and we did that probably eight years ago maybe nine years ago now um and kept that sample for all this time and then uh they Biogen, the company that I had uh, frozen it, the DNA with, had a contest, and I think it was in 2019, maybe 18. They'd had a contest that for anybody that had DNA already preserved there for their pet or their horse, you could make a video or a post with pictures about your story of your animal and why you would want to clone them. And whoever had the most likes and comments and shares at the end of the contest would get. I think it was 20% off of the cloning process or something. Um, And I didn't end, I tried really hard. I made the video. I didn't end up winning it. I think I was second. But um, Blake Russell is the uh, owner of Biogen. And he, his daughter, Lexi, had shown him the video. And I think he said their whole household was in tears. And he got my number and called me up. And he offered me the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, what they did for me, I'll never be able to repay or thank them enough. They're a truly incredible and gracious family. And they made my dream a reality. And uh, we cloned Pepper. Uh, the clone's name is Poppy, after Ch- Pepper's love of uh, cherry Pop-Tarts. <laughs> and he's two this year. I actually am taking him to the Colt starter tomorrow to oh. get started. So I feel like it's like my book on Pepper that never got to be finished. Like it never had that ending. I feel like I can maybe um, hopefully have some sort of happier ending with Poppy. Um, They are so much alike. It is scary in every way. Their personalities, their eye, they look identical. It It is way above and beyond what I ever expected this experience to be. It is the coolest thing. That is incredible. I can't wait to follow his story. That's going to be so fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've already told Barbara uh, that Train Pepper yeah. that uh, when, when the clone is ready to get started on the pattern, I would love, they winter in Arizona, so I would love to come down for a month or two, one winter when he's ready to pattern and have her help me pattern him and have her and I do it together. Cool. I love it. I love it. We will yeah. be watching that for sure. So, I mean, after this, I, I mean, I have a really hard time with minor injuries, not wanting to throw my sucker in the dirt and like being done. Um, so I guess, how did you, 
keep going while you were working with this? What were the next horses you had, you know, kind of as, as it took years to rehab Pepper. Um, I mean, what, what were you doing? What did you have in your barn and kind of how did your barrel racing career continue? I, I did struggle for a while just because I think I was so heartbroken that it was hard for me to even compete on anything else. Um, I'm very fortunate to have had a couple of their nice horses in my trailer at the time. Um, I had, I actually had Joe dynamite at the time. And I think he's one of the reasons that I was able to get through that and come out the other side and still have the desire to keep going and keep running barrels. Um, Joe Dynamite is the horse that Izzy Coughlin now owns. Um, that horse has never, I say he's never had a bad day in his life. Uh, he is happy every day. He makes the same run every single time. Uh, I could probably count on one hand how many barrels I hit on him in the seven or eight years I owned him. Um, so I had him and I had a couple others, but I didn't have like the the freak pepper type horse that it takes to really rodeo and be super competitive joe was great and i placed on him at uh quite a few pro rodeos but not he wasn't like a pepper caliber there was kind of a difference between like the the placers and then that the winners at the pro rodeos there's just a little different kind of power there i think yeah and so we we started looking um it had happened in August, I think, Pepper's injury, maybe the end of July. And we started looking maybe late that fall into the winter. Um, we looked at a lot of horses. I tried a lot of horses. Uh, I even got bucked off of one in Oklahoma that I tried, and he was a, for a lot of money, and the horse bucked me off in between the first and second barrel. Um, so I went through a lot of horses just trying to find that one. And uh, Lita Scott was still... Um, a huge part of my program and was she was helping to find one and she had called Bo Hill and I can't remember if the woman who owned Bash and Julian at the time had called Bo the day before Lita or the day after but it was one of the two Bo had uh, Lita called Bo to tell her she was looking for another horse for me and a real deal and uh, Bo called her back and said I have the horse uh, Dash and Julian is for sale I trained her I know her she just she's a super freak and uh, one thing about Bo is she's uh, very honest so if she says they are a freak they are and we watched videos of her and got on a flight I want to say within a day or two um, to go to Oklahoma and try her and I got there and she was living in a pasture skinny no shoes on um, hadn't been rode in over a year uh, I start riding her around and trot a few circles and she starts kind of getting a little short and starts kind of limping so I got off of her and uh we ended up vetting her the next day and she'd strained a suspensory just from trotting around because she was just that out of shape oh my gosh that bad and uh I we bought her anyways (laughs) I said she I she I never took her around a barrel I never even got into a lope um, but I, when I looked into her eyes, you know, I say that horses can talk if you just know how to listen. And Lita and I both said on that day that she just looked at us and you could almost hear her screaming, like, get me out of here and let me show the world what I am. I don't want to sit. I want to show the world how great I am. Like, you could just feel that presence coming off of her like a freight train. 
And that's why I bought her. I bought her because of the way she was when we were around her, just her aura and just off of her videos. And I knew that I would do whatever it took to be able to fit her and ride her. How old and was she at this time? Like, what what was her career like up to that point? I think she was just turning seven. So okay. both trained her. Um, she bought her as a yearling from Mondel Martinez in Utah. Um, who I actually have a really great relationship with now. We found each other on Facebook about two years ago. But anyways, Bo bought Julian from Mundell as a yearling. Bo trained her, Bo fraternity her until, I want to say, around Fort Smith. Um, she ran her at the Juvenile. She, she ran her in Arizona and did good on her. And then um, the woman that I bought her from uh, bought her, I think, in March or April of her fraternity year. Um, and she didn't do much with her. I know she won the WPRA Derby on her. She'd placed at Corpus Christi, and I know she'd done well and around at Fort Worth. Um, but she was pregnant for twice in the two years she owned her. So for a large majority of it, Julian just kind of sat. So she'd run her a little, and then she sat for months, and then she might get on her and run her a few times, and she sat. And then when I bought her, obviously, she'd been sitting for over a year. Um so she was very uh, out of shape, not tuned. So I swam her down here at ESMS with my vet, Dr. Reese Hand, um, for a few weeks to get her suspensory healed up and then get her fit. And then I sent her to Bo just because I didn't know her at all. I hadn't even loped her around, let alone taken her through the barrels. And she was young and just had sat for so long. I asked Bo if she would uh, mind taking her in for a month or two and uh tuning her up and Bo had her I don't know maybe a week and had rode her maybe just a handful of times and she said this horse don't need tune come get your horse (laughs) (laughs) um she's just that special I think so she came to Nevada after that and I she was kind of like Pepper I just got on her and we just fit um, I'd hit a barrel at the very first pro rodeo I took her to to win the rodeo. And uh, we had a lot of success together. She's an extremely incredible and special mare. That is amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, what a story. Because she was, I mean, I remember seeing videos of her, and she is just, she is cool. Like, she Thank is you. cool. Did- yeah, she's special. And, uh, she loves her job more than any horse I've ever been around. Um, she loves it as much as I do. She is so gritty, and she if she makes a mistake, if she were to run by a barrel or hit a barrel, she would get so angry. She would pin her ears to her neck, and usually when she runs, even when she's running home, her ears are always up, which is rare for most horses, but she just loved it that much. And But when she made a mistake, her ears would go to her neck and she would almost like attack the rest of the pattern because she wanted to make up for it. And she was so angry that she'd messed up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Is she still running today? Um, I know you still have her, but uh, kind of what did her career go like with you? Well, I rodeoed on her quite a bit for a few years. Um, She won a lot. I won quite a bit. I don't know how many, I won quite a few rodeos on her and won a lot of money on her. Um, I hit a lot of barrels on her too, uh, just because it was me. It wasn't her. She uh, is your typical dash to fame and she's turning. And 
I think I, it's hard when she's as reactive as she is. She is the lightest horse in a run that I've ever rode and probably will ever ride. Um, the minute she feels your body weight shift just the tiniest bit or your hand moves a centimeter, she's turning. So you had to ride her all the way past it. And when she came back, she comes back on the backside so hard that it was really hard for me to stay two-handed up into her turns and ride her all the way without feeling like I was going to fall off. <laughs> so I hit a lot of barrels on her. I, I think we all have a horse, I'm sure, that we wish we had them later in life. Like, I would give anything to have seven-year-old Julene right now versus 10 years ago yeah um but she is she's still sound um I actually kind of started legging her back up the last few months but I don't know if I'm gonna run her again I know that I I just thought she's 16 this year and last year I just thought I'm gonna retire her. I feel like it's what she deserves like she doesn't owe me anything she has blessed me beyond what I could even comprehend. And I felt like I was doing right by her to retire her. And she was absolutely miserable. She usually, she is like mama's girl. Like she always is there right at the stall gate to greet me. And she started kind of hiding in the corner when I'd walk over to her stall, kind of putting her butt to me and just wasn't happy. And I started riding her again. And then all of a sudden the old Julian's back. So I don't know if I'll run her again. I know she probably wants me to run her again. Um, I might just, if I do, it'll just be small stuff close to home. I don't, I will not haul her anywhere far. Just, she just doesn't deserve it. Just and keep her happy so she doesn't get so grumpy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Like anytime I put her in the trailer, whether it's to go to the shoer or the bed or anywhere, she thinks she's going to run and she sits in there and starts pawing and getting all anxious and excited and happy. And then we get somewhere and she realizes it's not a race and she's like, oh, really lady again? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny um well you know dash and julene is is one of the reasons that you know we probably became facebook friends because like i love this horse and then um you know your your stallion that you're standing now tell us a little bit about how you got into the breeding program because i mean that's that's honestly kind of why this podcast came to play um you know i'm i'm just so intrigued and in love with the stallion you have out of Julene and you know how did you get into the breeding and tell us a little bit about um your stud um I don't think how I got into the breeding industry is uh normal either kind of just like my story (laughs) of just getting into barrel racing or horses in general um we had sold an embryo out of Julene um a, a year after we bought her and we went through the whole process of, I took her to my vet, um, the woman that bought it was in Oklahoma. And so I was in California going to school. So I'd taken her to a breeding vet there and got her bread and flushed it and put it in a recip. And the deal was when she paid all the bills on it, we would get the, she'd pay to ship the recip to Oklahoma. And I started having a hard time getting a hold of her. And then all of a sudden, when the baby has a heartbeat and the mare's ready, she ghosted me. (laughs) 
Wow. With having all those bills and like my horse's name didn't sit well with me. Like I just don't feel like that was right. I'm not going to just not pay it because it wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I paid all the bills and I figured, well, she might just be going through something and she'll reach out and pay me back and then we'll ship the mare. Like it's no big deal. Well, I never heard from her. So here we are with this recent mare and, uh, we decide, well, we're just, we're going to have a baby. So there it is. And uh, it, that baby ended up being RP dashing out of my socks. Uh, her first baby, we call her Riddles. Um, she won about 35000 or fraternity year. Uh, Kristen Weaver-Brown trained her and did an incredible job. Um, I ran her at the BFA the end of that year and uh, won the world championship rookie at the BFA honor. Uh, so it worked out the exact way it was supposed to. And I actually sold her, uh, about a year and a half ago and, uh, she has the most incredible home now. And the woman's goal is to rodeo Brian and Amy Bush bought her and they are so wonderful and they adore her. And Amy, uh, is, has always been a mother and now she's a grandmother and she decided now, of course, her kids are all grown and she wants to do something for herself and she'd like to try to make the NFR. Uh, so she bought riddles and adores her. And, uh, she actually had back surgery this last year. So Brandon Collins has been running riddles for her and he's been doing excellent honors. She looks incredible. So that was how I got into the breeding industry was we, we just ended up getting stuck with this baby out of Jolene. And then when we saw her, we fell in love and we, that's when we bred her to coil the first time, actually, the thoroughbred stallion that my stud is sired by. Talk about um, a silver lining to, I mean, at least they picked a good stud, <laughs> BHR Frenchie yeah. socks. And yeah. I mean, wow, that's a, yeah. that's an interesting way to decide to pull an embryo. Yeah. So then that same year when Riddles was born, we saw her and we were like, we just need to keep doing this. Like, she's special. And But we had no clue what we were doing. But my dad had always said he wanted a bigger, stronger, faster Jolene with more bone, more lung capacity, and super sound. And he felt like he would get all of those things from a thoroughbred. And he is uh, friends with Bob Baffert's probably longest and best client, Mike Pegram. And Mike actually owned the Thoroughbred Stallion Coil. And when my dad was talking to Bob Baffert at a race one day, he asked him, what stallion do you think would be best for what we do? And Bob said, without a doubt, Coil. And we kind of weighed the pros and cons of each horse. Like with Julene, I always try to breed her to stallions that I feel like complement her like if she has a flaw or something I wish she had more of, I'm going to look for a stallion that has more of that specific thing that I wish she had. Mm-hmm. And with coil that it just worked. It just, they, everything that I wanted from, if I could create like the perfect Jolene she had and vice versa. And so we decided we were just going to try something crazy and it was either going to be the best horse we ever had or the worst there was not going to be an in-between it was going to either be a total fail or it was going to work and we actually had a full sister to my stallion striker um she would have been seven this year she got in a wreck uh, at the colt starters um well we don't know exactly what happened i don't think we ever will i just we we learned who we need to use as cold starters and who we don't. Mm-hmm. We'll just leave it at that. But she didn't survive. 
Um, but she was probably the nicest, most promising horse baby we've ever raised. Um, and like she was just so special, even as a two year old with I think she had four months on her. Um, she was so broke and so good minded, and she was obviously a lot bigger than most the horses they had there to start. She was actually the horse that they were leading the two-year-olds around when they first saddled them and got on them she would actually lead those other two-year-olds around uh, off of her because she was just that good-minded wow Um, so you bred so you bred back to him we did and we waited a couple years just because we felt like it it could have been a fluke like that cross it worked but was it going to work every time we Mm -hmm. just we were a little unsure, and my dad was so heartbroken when we lost that Philly. We called her Wire. Um, when we lost her, I think he was so heartbroken. I was too. Um, that we just wanted to wait a few. We just needed time. I think we yeah. were both really upset over that loss. And uh, so when we did finally decide, like, you know what, let's try it again. We didn't think lightning was going to strike tr- twice, but we sure hoped it would, because um, it is such a unique cross that we didn't know if it was going to work again. And I think Stryker is obviously already proving that it did. Um, So we're very blessed to have him. Uh, I think I can say now he probably is uh, even more special than his sister was. Um, That horse is everything that we ever could have wanted him to be and more. I just, I love it so much. Um, You know, especially now breeding is is really taking off in the barrel racing world. I mean, it has been for the last decade, but you know, now it's, it's incentives and it's sons of sons. And you know, it's, I feel like it's like a catch 22 with the incentives. They're so great. But then are we bottlenecking our industry? Um, And I think everybody I've talked to has had the same thoughts. And then all of a sudden I see your stud and I'm like, somebody did it (laughs) somebody did not care they went out of you know the box and like he is just so so cool thank you we we really felt like we you know just being in the industry and watching for quite a few years now we just saw that everything as time passes and you know we're going generation to new generation all of these horses are getting bred closer alike Mm -hmm. and all of the great things because all of our quarter horses especially the running bred ones they all stem from thoroughbreds so what we did is nothing new but it's just bringing that blood back because there's so many traits in those thoroughbreds that they brought to our industry that benefited our horses that we have now bred out with all these new continuous generation after generation they're gone Mm -hmm. now and like i don't think I think people forget the good things about thoroughbreds because they watch them on TV and they forget that, the, yeah, they're looking at gangly two-year-olds, but they're too, like my two, like everybody's two-year-olds in our industry kind of look gangly at some point and they're not fit enough to go be racehorses. So like, but thoroughbreds do for the most part have better bone. If you go to a racetrack and you look at those colts, the bone that most of them have and the substance of just their legs is incredible compared to our industry. Mm-hmm. And we wanted that bone and that soundness and their lung capacity. I think we have a lot of injuries in our industry and I think we have a lot of bleeders now. And we kind of attributed some of that to genetics. Like bring that thoroughbred lung capacity back, bring their bone and their substance and their 
their stride and their size back and cross that on a mare that has a extreme she's able to how do I want to put this push off and accelerate out of a turn faster than any horse I've ever rode um Mm -hmm. and Brandon can Brandon Collins has rode he's rode more of her babies than anybody he's rode more of them than even I have and he has said the same thing about her offspring that they can be making their turn and when they push off to square their finish and head to the next barrel they can reach full speed in that one stride like the ability that they have to accelerate as quickly as they do i think is julian is why julian works with that specific thoroughbred is they have that speed and the ability to accelerate fast but then you cross that with all the great traits of a thoroughbred and we we got him and we were hoping that's what we would get we wanted a bigger stronger faster Julene with good bone and soundness and lung capacity and and that's exactly what we got um he'll walk out after a run and he has no idea what he's done he walks out flat-footed and he's not even breathing hard you'd think he went and loped the pattern um he's the soundest horse i've ever owned uh he's never had a needle in him um and we have checked him my vet is also brandon's vet dr reese hand at Mm -hmm. esms uh, he checks him like every two months or so and uh, goes through him. He trots circles on concrete, does all his flexions on concrete, and that horse has been 100% sound every time he has seen him. He has never taken a sore step. That is so cool. I'm so excited to watch him this year. And I, I already signed up for 2023. You know yeah, that. <laughs> you did. You were on the list. Yeah, um, so I'm really excited. We hope that all of those things – and we – we think they are going to pass on when you have a maternal line like Julene's Mm -hmm. that goes for so many generations when you have a strong maternal line like that. Um, And so we really feel like his Colts will probably be just as great because that maternal line is so strong in him. And we always knew whether we'd gotten a Colt or a mare from that cross that even if they themselves weren't exactly what we wanted, we wanted that cross for the offspring. If we had gotten a mare or if Wire was still here, she would have been a broodmare for us for sure, without a doubt. That was our plan for her. When we got a striker, we got a colt. I was like, well, I don't really want a stud. To be honest, I've never wanted a stud. Um, I was team gelding and I lost the battle, obviously. Uh, thank you thank you to (laughs) probably your dad for telling you no on that decision it it was my dad and uh when we took him to roger daly um to start as a two-year-old i don't know if most people in this industry probably don't know who roger daly is but he is a sales prepper for he'll do cutters and others too but majority of the horses in his barn are running bread quarter horses and thoroughbreds um every single one of uh Bobby Cox's yearlings goes through his barn. So Roger gets the best of the best bred quarter horses in the country every single year. And he goes to every big sale, you know, and Queensland sale and heritage place. And he, so he sees the best of the best Mm -hmm. and he starts my Colts for me. And Roger hates stallions. (laughs) He will tell you uh, that he, is not a stallion person because he thinks there's too many average ones and he's seen the best. So yeah. they have to be, he 
if he thinks your horse is average, he's going to tell you they need to be a gelding. And when I brought him Striker, I knew what he was thinking, another braille racer with a stud. And <laughs> he walks me through his barn and he shows me there's a couple other barrel horse studs that were younger at the time in there that he was starting or riding. And every single one of them, he was like, I told them to geld him. He's average. I told them to geld him. He's average. And so I drop Striker off and I'm like, perfect. Roger's going to be on my team and he's going to tell me that we need to geld him. And then my dad won't, my dad will value his opinion and I'll be able to geld him. Well, Roger calls me the day after he gets there, maybe two days after he'd been there. And when Roger calls, usually something's wrong because he doesn't call just to socialize or tell you how your horse is doing. He's way too busy. If you want to know, you call him. So I'm like, oh, no, what happened? And he was like, nothing. I'm just, uh, I'm calling to let you know that I'm really sorry, Rachel, but I, I can't back you up on this one. Your horse needs to be a stallion. And he's like, I can't even believe those words come out of my mouth, but he is special. His mind is incredible. He is, the way he moves, how easy it's been to get him broke. The first day they put a saddle on him, they were able to ride him. And like it was like he'd been rode, he had 30 days on him. Um, so and he was cool. like, he's, he's exceptional. I actually talked to Roger this morning, um, and he had told me he saw a striker last week um, when he had dropped a colt off with Brandon. So he was able to see him again for the first time since he left there as a two-year-old. And he was like, he is, he's just as exceptional now as he was then, if not better. And he's like, I just, I love him. And so to hear somebody like that, that I really respect and has such a great idea of what a truly incredible stallion is for mm -hmm. him to believe in him that much, it means the world to me. And, uh, I think he's probably the reason, him and my dad teamed up on me, and he, they are the reason that Stryker is still a stud today. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you to them both. <laughs> yeah. As always, thank you to our special guest, Rachel Prim. And a big thank you to our partners at Farnham, the manufacturers of Horseshoe Secret Hoof Supplements. When your horse's hooves need extra nutritional help, trust the brand recommended by farriers and equine professionals. Farnham, your partner in horse care for over 75 years. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.